0: Like, if you're a parent, you're afraid of Chuck E. Cheese, or if you're just a human being who's afraid of germs, you're afraid of Chuck E. Cheese. I'm going to offer up one that I have not discussed with my wife yet, so can we go ahead and have this moment right now where we're all going to not, like, bust me out? For uh, My wife um, is super not a big fan of, like, Oompa Loompas, specifically from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy or Won- whatever the name of the movie is. Um... Yeah, so there's, like, not a fan. She's also not a fan of the Thriller music video. Uh, When she was a kid, it used to terrify her. Uh, Odd fears. I remember as a kid growing up, my fears kind of shifted because as a kid, your fears are all over the place. And you're not necessarily taught to fear. You just kind of do. I remember one time I had a dream. A lot of my fears maybe kind of stemmed from my dreams because I, I remember one time I had a dream that, um, I could uh, I could see uh, spiders entering through the door, like major ones, like big, you know, like the, that you see on like Facebook videos that like live in Australia. It's like the ones that are bigger than like your head. Craw- they were crawling through the door, and then just an infestation. They were all over my walls and my ceiling. And I, I had like a spider problem for a long time in my life. And I had a dream that ninjas came and like beat up my dad. And so I was always afraid that someone was going to come and be any irrational fears out there, like as a kid? Elbow? <laughs> now we're getting into it. Okay, so elbows. You have a fear of elbows, they're gross. Okay. Anyone else want to take a stab? Porta potties. Porta potties. That's rational. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are awful. I can't sleep with my bedroom door open. You can't sleep with your bedroom door open. That's interesting. Can you tell me why? Just, just feels okay. someone's gonna. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand. That is, that is not irrational. So what's funny about that is I was going to say that I have three boys, as most of you know, and the first two. Uh, didn't grow up with many fears. The third popped out with all the fears, and he can't go to sleep unless his closet door is all the way shut. Which makes sense to those of us who maybe grew up with the boogeyman. Is that like any any realness? Like, is, would anyone say like if the closet door is not shut or like the shadows? Do the shadows bother you like when you were a kid? Maybe um, I, I will say I, this is kind of funny. When I um. You know, as a parent, you, you, you parent this one child, and then the second one comes along. And, and if you're dumb like me, you, you start to parent the second one exactly like the, the first one. And you're like, well, this one worked with the first one, and so the second one, it'll be a breeze. I know what I'm doing. So one of those things that my first child loved is to be thrown up in the air as high as possible, and I would catch him every time. He would just laugh, and it was just hilarious. And it was one of my favorite moments with Kipton when he was a lot younger. And here comes Caden, and he's, like, old enough to where I really feel like I can throw him up in the air. And then, he like, it scares him real bad, so much so that he would literally become, like, a cement block. Like, he would just go, like, and he would, he would freeze until I caught him again. And I was, like, oh, you know, like, and my wife would look at me and oh that's awful like why would you do that like he's too young and so I wait like six months I'm like oh surely he's old enough to do that and he's like you know like he's in the air the kid is five years old to this day if I throw him up in the air and this just came out maybe three weeks ago he has a fear that I'm not going to catch him and I don't know why I've never just I've never dropped my children (laughs) right some of sometimes you're like He definitely, like, someone dropped them the way they're acting. Like, I get that, but I've never dropped my, I've never done anything to give my kids this idea that, like, I'm going to drop them, but for whatever reason, Caden is terrified that I'm gonna drop him. And he just has this fear. Like, sometimes I'm just starting to learn about my kids, they just come out of nowhere. You know, it's just you learn that they're afraid of something, and you have to kind of weasel in and find out why they won't go here or do that or enjoy that certain type of environment. And you find out these fears are kind of controlling us. And uh, and it's not too different for us, right? Don't we as adults still kind of embrace some fear? Maybe we live out of our fear. Maybe we wouldn't say it this way, but we would say we make certain decisions because we fear this or we fear that, and... Um, I I am, so I'll just put myself out there. I I maybe live out of a fear of not having, like, provisions. So I go, and I, I will probably practically not put much faith in God's provision for me because I think I need to go and go and go and go and go. And in a sense, I'm letting my fear actually... Uh, direct my faith life in that way or maybe we have a fear there's a, there's all kinds of fears in fact I, I, <clears throat> I listed a couple of, of popular ones that, that I looked there's fear of loss and a lot of our you know a lot of people are just ir, maybe irrationally afraid that they're going to be abandoned even so we, we have a fear of loss we have a fear of being alone you have that one a fear of being alone. Maybe you fear that like if you're if you're married that your spouse is gonna pass away and you're gonna have this like this this season, or maybe that you're never gonna get married, or maybe that you're that your your friends are gonna move or or whatever. I remember like leaving uh, high school for the first time and, and going to college and leaving all my friends. I went to school eight hours away and I remember thinking, how am I gonna meet people? And then I meet people and then I leave college and I move to this Town in Westerville, right, Ohio. I'm like, I don't know anyone again. You know, it's, it's weird. Um, you have a fear of rejection. Anyone have that one? That one's a tough one. So you'll never step out and really take a stab at maybe what God is calling you to do because you're just afraid of being rejected. You're you're a fear. Maybe you fear of failure. So you'll never step out and do something that maybe you feel might uh, bring some damage to you. Maybe you have a fear of abandonment. Maybe you just have a fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown is maybe the most crippling thing in the world. So we try to gather up our lives in such a way that we're like, here's, here's what I know will never fail me, and so I'm just going to put my faith and my trust. I, I think if I can just be really, really forthcoming with you right now, I think the fear of some of these things is probably why people um, don't go to church as much as they used to because we have um, maybe played on some of these fears, but we've also, like, We've lost trust as the church. Like church leaders have lost trust, and it's not just church. It's government leaders. It's it's just society as a whole. Like we have a fear of of you know maybe being treated poorly. We have a fear of of you know getting close to someone and then being hurt. Um, and these fears can can guide us and mold us in a way that God never intended, and our fears reveal. Two things. I wrote these down. By the way, if you want to jot some notes down, there's some notes there for you. Um, and, and we're going to get there in just a minute. But um, our fears reveal two things. It reveals what you value the most. It reveals what you value the most. So, so what I said earlier about like the whole provision thing, what I value is maybe a standard of life. What I value is maybe never going without. Maybe what I value is making sure that my kids have this or that. Maybe what I value is making sure that, that I'm always able to do A, B, and C. When I think about our world, when I really take into account all the different things that are going wrong in this world, what I'm, what I'm really honestly afraid of is that I'm going to end up like the things that I see on the news, whether it's you know, third world country poverty or whether it's people experiencing, um, like honestly, so if I can just say this, um, <laughs> when the tornadoes were happening this week, um, I know a lot of people like really take, take cover and all this kind of stuff. Um, but my friends in Arkansas, where the, the storms are way bigger and way tougher, some of my friends have experienced like devastation, just absolute devastation. And so the tornadoes trigger me a little bit. Because we spent seven years in Arkansas, and what I did not know was that every spring it is a guarantee that tornadoes are coming through. In fact, there's like a path that follows like an interstate. It's I-30, and they come down I-30 every spring when it goes from cold to warm. There's kind of that weird season that we're in right now, and they'll have it for about two months. And about for two months, it's just without warning, there'll be a day where the sirens will go off, and then life just stops. And I had friends lose everything. I, I have friends that were leading church plants that lost everything. And I have a, a little bit of a fear that I might lose everything. We say, what if? What if this and what if that? So we, we, we guide our lives in such a way that maybe are not governed by God, but they're governed by our fears. And I would say that maybe that's a, a dangerous lifestyle. So we're going to talk about that today because we are not going to be slaves to fear. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 2 today. We started last week talking about <clears throat> Moses and how he was, um, he was guiding the people out of, uh, out of slavery, remember? And there's this moment where God calls Moses to call the whole captive Israel under Egypt's uh, thumb and say, remember, kill the goat, put the blood on your door, and I'm going to pass over every house that does not have I'm sorry, that does have th- this blood. And you and I are going to make a covenant. I'm going to rescue you guys from slavery. This is going to be the last moment. Right before you get freed, you're going to have this moment where all the firstborn in Egypt are going to die unless that, that blood is over the door. And that was God's way of saying, um, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you back out of slavery. I promised, by the way, he did promise Abraham that there was going to be a season of slavery. There's going to be a season where where Pharaoh was going to deal unjustly. In fact, he did it on purpose. If you read through Exodus, there's this if if you if you read it, there's there's this moment where Pharaoh sees all the population right because if you follow the bible you've got you've got the whole book of genesis which is essentially about god making a covenant with abraham isaac and jacob and their whole lineage and everything and at the very end of genesis you have that family right joseph and all of his brothers and all that stuff there they've moved into egypt essentially to to find pre- Food, like water, because there was a famine in the land. And remember, Joseph had, had come to this point where he was like in charge of things in Egypt. He was second in command. And after all that had happened, the pharaoh died, and this new pharaoh did not know Joseph or his family. And they started to see, like there's Egyptians and Israelites living under one roof, essentially. And the pharaoh looked at the, the Israelites and said, if we let them continue they're going to become more powerful than us. And if we have an enemy come in and try to kill us, these Israelites are actually going to pair up with the enemy and take over the Egyptians. Like, we're going to be gone. So they said, this is Pharaoh, we're going to kill all the children, all the firstborn. And so out of that, a baby is born named Moses. It's crazy. Chapter 2, um, in chapter 2 of Exodus, It's going to say um, that Moses was born. He was born out of the house of Levi, which is like the priestly house, the priestly tribe. And uh, it says that there's a man who took a, a Levite woman as his wife. She conceived and bore a son. And then when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Why? Because this child was going to die at the hands of Pharaoh. It was a very, very dangerous time for a child to be alive. And so... Um, this this child was born. She hid him three months. We know this is Moses. Verse 3 continues. When she could hide him no longer, right? Because how do you hide a baby? Right? I get they're small, but they also make a lot of noise, right? And uh, I was even, (laughs) I was talking with someone who had a friend. I was holding a newborn recently, and I was like, oh, remember how little? And then the cry was like, you know, it was like, and they used to be so quiet. Like, I get they're loud to people, but like, two people who have like three, four, five, six, seven year olds, they're super quiet because they haven't found their diaphragm yet. They haven't figured out how to really, truly project. And so, there's a moment where she could hide him no longer. And what happens is, is she took uh, for him a basket of bulrushes, daubed it with bitumen and pitch, which is essentially like tar, so that the thing would float. Put the child and place it in the reeds among the river or by the river bank. Something interesting I found out about this word basket. This word basket, if you look at it, is literally, and maybe it's this way in some of your, your, uh, your, your versions, but it literally means ark. I think it says that in the King James. It's the same word as the word ark. So, so the thing that Noah built in Genesis 6 um, when the flood was about to come is this thing that was going to save people. Essentially, the same idea, this basket that's going to save Moses, um, is what, is what he was placed in. Could you imagine, moms? Could you imagine just placing your baby? Like, this is your best option for this child to make it. This is your best option. And she so trusted God with her life, but with her newborn's life. So think maybe, what, three months old? And she's just like, this is, this is the absolute best option, because otherwise he's just going to die. And in the Lord's providence he would find his way all the way to Pharaoh's daughter. So you see that he's a Hebrew, but he's raised as an Egyptian prince. And um, P.S., I just watched Prince of Egypt for the first time this week in preparation for this message. (laughs) Some of you are like, I think you're supposed to prepare by reading the scripture. I did, uh, but I also pulled my kids around. I was like, hey, let's watch this movie. I think it's like 20 years old or something like that, and I should have watched it by now. Great movie. You should watch it. And you're like, yeah, we all did when it came out. I'm the last one. I'm late to the party. I get it. So uh, great movie. And uh, you see he's raised as this, this prince, and, and he's, he's got the, the best food. He's got the best education. He's got all this, this opportunity. It really does mirror Joseph in so many ways, um, uh, except in reverse, because in this case, he's going to be leaving all of that to go and rescue the people. Just spoiler alert, there are going to be some tremendous opportunities to see Jesus in this picture, okay? You're going to see Moses, who had everything, be convicted and choose to leave to rescue the people that God loved. So they're in slavery. You're going to push forward to um, chapter 2. So this is Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. This, this is such a great passage. This is a, for all of you who feel like you're alone. Maybe you have a fear, not of, abandon of abandonment of people, but maybe you feel like God is just silent in your life. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So if you're feeling alone this morning, if you're feeling like God doesn't care if you're feeling like God, does, I know there's some conflicting feelings, right? Because you grow up like these kids are growing up, and they're being taught that God loves you. And God, and then over the, over the course of your life, maybe you were taught because you got smacked around by life a couple times that God is not to be trusted. And the truth is, though these people were in slavery, they cried out to God in some of the worst times of their life, and he heard their cry. Whether these are shackles that were put on us, and it's something that you didn't do, you didn't deserve it, right? Maybe this was a childhood thing that, that maybe you grew up, and it's colored your whole life, and you struggle with this thing, and it's not your fault because someone did something ugly to you or said something ugly to you or took advantage of you or whatever. Or maybe these are shackles you put on yourself. Maybe these are bad habits, right? Maybe these are habits that turn into a whole lifestyle, Maybe these are, are thoughts that you have, have gone down this path. Maybe this is a friend group that you hang around that you know is not good for you. Whatever the shackles are, when we cry out, God hears the cry of his people, and he knows. Now, Moses at this point has no clue what's about to happen, right? He's just growing up. As the prince of Egypt, he's, he's getting ready to be um, rescued not, out of that lifestyle, which is a weird way to put it, but the truth is he was in this lifestyle with provision and all of that stuff. Sometimes we need to be rescued out of the, the quote-unquote good things, the, the, the riches, the, the, all, all this kind of stuff. He's, he's about to, to leave this. He's about 40 years old at this point, and he's about to have his world rocked. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, the story continues. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. So he's just a shepherd, just a boring old shepherd job. Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. It came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is, this is fairly rare to happen in the Old Testament text. This is, but this is, we believe, a, a, a pre-incarnate, or in other words, Before Jesus was like a baby, right in in Luke 2, this is Jesus showing up on the scene with Moses. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So he's got kind of this like, what is happening right here Moment. This isn't crazy to see a bush burning, or or to see a, you know anything like that. But he knew something was different. Something different was happening. Moses said, "I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt?" When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, which I read is the Hebrew way of kind of calling someone intimately, like, "Hey, let's have a you and me. Let's have a conversation." This is God talking to Moses. Specific plan be about to be rolled out. He said, "Here I am." Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Let me pause there for just a minute. The place on which you're standing is holy ground. We have, we have, um, we have grown up in this uh, world where maybe you were taught like I was taught. Um, that church, like when you're inside of a church building where there's there's walls, there's a steeple, there's pews, there's choir robes, there's a big throne on the front of the stage. You remember, you remember those? Um, and and when you're in those buildings, that's sacred, and you don't do those like bad things that you would do out. So I remember, um, <laughs> I remember as a student pastor in Arkansas one time, uh, I was giving a message on love of all things, and I said amen on the sermon. You're dismissed. And within 15 seconds there was a fight <laughs> between these two boys in the church lobby, and I remember someone said, you shouldn't be fighting in church. And I was like, um, <clears throat> you shouldn't be fighting, period. <laughs> you shouldn't be saying those cuss words in church. Um, <clears throat> you shouldn't be saying those words, period. You know, And we've, we've kind of grown up in this world where it's like, okay, when we're inside these holy, sacred buildings, we need to really behave, right, until we leave. And then it's like, Go for it. You know what I mean? Like, what happens in church stays in church is kind of a different way to put that, you know? And uh, and in this moment, we see God saying to Moses, take the sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. I, um, I've recently felt, and I've recently used this language with some of you at my small group, I think, um, that I have been experiencing this weird stage in my life. I've told some of you that that I am uh, getting ready to embrace this new lifestyle where um, we are coming off of support literally this month. Um, and which means, by the way, the only reason we've been here so far is on fundraising and people's generosity and all this kind of stuff from churches in Arkansas, churches in Indiana, churches in blah, 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 Ohio, mission organizations. They've all paired up to say, hey, Coxes, go plan a church. Get all this stuff rolling, but there's an end date. There's a period on the end of that sentence, and the period is April 2018. So we are coming off of all of that, and your boy Mark is getting a 9-to-5. And so all of this is very new for me. And what's funny is that I knew all this was coming, um, and but but I also knew that God was doing something in our midst, and so we started this 40 days of prayer and fasting. And and I I, I just want to say this, and I don't know if maybe this is true for you. It's been true for me. I have felt God, over the last two months, inviting me into a more intimate conversation. And I feel like he's saying, Mark, Mark, let's talk. And I felt like, and I'm not saying that God doesn't ever want to have intimate conversation. God always wants that. But I felt recently, and I don't know about you, but I felt recently, this is just me personally sharing my story, that I've been on like holy ground lately. Not to say that like the ground i walk on is holy ground. I'm saying that God is doing something. There's seasons in our life when we feel like things are shifting in a new direction. And my life, in a lot of ways, has shifted almost upside down. and And I felt like in the midst of it, there's been moments where I felt like I, my world was spinning. You ever have those moments? Maybe you, have a, a, you take a new job or you move or you have kids or you, you have a, a big change in your life. Maybe there's a big breakup. Maybe there's a something in your life. You graduate college and you're not quite sure what to do and your head is kind of spinning because you're like, oh, I'm supposed to have all this figured out and I don't exactly know. We find comfort in like our, this is how life looks. And, and the truth is Moses His head is probably spinning at this moment, and he is realizing now that God has a plan for him. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. I don't think the ground was holy because there's a burning bush. I don't think the ground is holy because there's a church there at one point or whatever. I think the ground is holy, check this out, because God was wanting to do something specific with Moses, and he was telling Moses, I need you to key in very closely to what I'm saying right now. What is about to happen is going to change the course of history and it did. What we know now, hindsight being twenty twenty. if this doesn't happen, we don't have any of the rest of the Bible. If we don't have the Israelites leaving slavery, we have nothing out of the rest of our In fact, if we don't have Israelites leaving slavery, God's promises are not to be trusted, because he said, you're going to be in slavery, but I'm going to rescue you, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to provide for you. They were claiming on that, but that hadn't happened yet. You may have had a moment in your life where you're like, God promised this, but I don't feel like he's coming through on that. Be patient. God is is the most to be trusted, the most to be trusted. If you are putting your faith in other things, maybe your fear has crept in and taught you not to trust God, maybe it's possible that today you're standing on holy ground and God is just saying, hey, listen, listen, I'm about to do something new in your life. But you've got to be paying attention because Moses turned aside. When God saw that he turned aside to see, sometimes we have crammed so much in our life that we don't see that the bush is burning. And we don't recognize that the ground we're standing on is holy. That's me, guys. I slam my life full of content, of stuff. When I'm not not in a conversation, I'm working on something. When I'm not working on something, I'm preparing for something. When I'm not preparing for something, I'm learning something. When I'm not, I I have two phases. I have sleeping and like running at a thousand miles an hour. Anyone else? We never give ourselves a moment just to say, and this is so weird, when we pray, when you think of praying, you think of talking, don't you? And praying is like a conversation. And maybe one of the reasons we never experience what God has for us is because we never actually allot time just to sit still in the quiet. Parents, I get this is super difficult for you, right? You, get, you have to have an agreement with your spouse like, hey, I need a moment of quiet. This is, Christy will come to me every once in a while and be like, I, I got to go. I got to go. I got to get out of this house. I got to be not around these children. I got to go. I got to have a quiet moment at Starbucks. I got I to gotta go. You know, <laughs> like, parents, this is, like, your devotional life as a parent is 10 times harder because you used to just be wake up, you know, whenever you wanted, maybe 15 minutes earlier than you have to. No, you got to wake up, like, two hours earlier than you have to because your kids wake up and they're cranked to an 11 and they're ready for, like, Door the Explorer and breakfast and fruit snacks and all that. So I get it. I get it. But it doesn't give us the excuse to never find a moment to just sit and say, God, I'm just just listening here. I've read through scripture. (laughs) I've poured out my prayer requests. I've poured out my heart, and I'm just, speak. Yeah, he speaks through scripture. So we read, and he speaks through scripture. But I believe that maybe God wants to speak something into your soul. And maybe, maybe, you have not turned aside to see that the bush is burning, and so maybe God hasn't called out of the bush yet. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not one to tell you what God is or is not doing, but I will say this. I think that that we need to carve out some margin just to, just to listen, just to listen to what God wants to say to us today. So then uh, he's going to give them his big mission. We're going to fast forward... Um, <clears throat> We're gonna fast forward to verse seven real quick. Actually, verse 10. And he's gonna give him his mission. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, right? We've all my people go. we've all heard this. You're not even, you know, like this is like automatic. Let you're gonna bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, so he's gonna ask him like two questions, okay? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? The fear of what? Failure? The fear of rejection? The fear of uh, not being adequate? Right? That's a tough one. Like, who, who am I? Can you just go do it? You're God. Like, you can just do it. You can snap your fingers and get it done. So who am I? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. In other words, there's going to be a moment where you realize that, that I've come through with all of this because you're going to be serving God on this mountain. In other words, he's saying... You, so here's the vision, you're going to leave slavery. Right now they're in shackles, they're, they're building bricks and stuff like that to build these pyramids and all. They're going to stop doing that. You guys are going to worship on this mountain. And then he's going to ask a second question, verse 13. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, if you're confused by that, welcome to the club. You're like, so here's the plan. I'm going to go to Pharaoh, the president, the king, right? I'm going to go to Donald Trump, and I'm going to say, Donnie, here's the plan. You're going to give me all of your money. You're going to give me all of your estate, all of your hotels. You know, and that's exactly what Donald Trump is going to do. Like, this this is the... This is tantamount to going to a king or a president and and demanding that they change their policy, that they demand that they hand over all of their workforce, all of their property. So Moses is super, like you would be. He's fearing the inadequacy. He's fearing failure. He can see it. If I can just be honest with you, I fear failure, and I fear inadequacy, and all of that. And there's days... There's been days this week where I have said to God, "I don't know if I have what it takes to do this, to do that. I don't know if I have what it takes." Anyone with like anyone ever had that moment where you're like, "I don't know, this my job isn't going so well. I don't know that I have what it takes." This parenting, look at my children, they're about to kill each other. I don't know that I have what it takes. Look at my life, look at my, it's in shambles. I don't know that I have what it takes. And God is just saying, no, I am who I am. I'm God. I'm I'm a creator. I'm the one who promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the promise-making, promise-keeping God. I'm the creator of the world, and I am promising you right now. You will be rescued out of slavery, and I will send you. And it's not going to be easy, right? There's going to be plagues. There's going to be a moment with the Red Sea where that's going to get kind of scary for a minute. But I want to tell you, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And this, this is no different than us. Sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, it seems easy to just follow God, right? God shouts out to Abraham, you're going to go, you're going to leave your father's house, you're going to go to the land I'm going to show you, you're going to be a blessing, you're going to be a father of many nations, you're going to, you, the world is going to be saved through your lineage. And the next verse is like, so Abraham went. And you're like, I'm not all about that life. Like, I'm more about the like, okay, I'm going to sit here and think about this for about, 40 years before I really obey. I'm I'm going to, I don't know God, you know, so I'm going to sleep on it. And sleeping on it turns to think about it for a week, two weeks, a month, a year. And we never truly like step into gear with what God has for us. And we, lo- we read these stories. I love this story because Moses is like, and Moses is going to go on and on and on, and we don't have time to cover all this stuff. He's like, okay, so what, what about this? He's going to go through situation after situation after situation. Right? I don't know that I'm all that adequate of a, uh, eloquent of a speaker. I don't know that I'm going to be able to perform these miracles. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And God, the creator of the universe, the author and, and su- sustainer of our faith is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not up to you. It is up to me, and by my power, all this is going to happen. It may be that in your life right now, that fear is your law, that fear is your source, that fear is your God. And what I think God is calling out to us today is to, we ought to break the shackles of that fear in our life. Essentially, Moses is asking two questions. He's getting right down to like the identity questions. Who am I and who are you? I wanna challenge you to ask those two questions today. Who am I? Right? What am I here on this earth for? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to do today? But also, can I just have a glimpse of what I'm supposed to do with my whole life? What is this? Do you ever get to the point in your life where you're like, this all seems like a big cosmic joke? Right? This all seems like bad stuff keeps happening and it feels like it never gets better and gets better and gets better and we ought to be asking this question, we ought to have a burning bush moment and say, who am I and who are you? I I actually, I'm gonna throw all of this on God right now and I'm just, this is kind of like a dare because I believe, I, I'm not a Christian because, um, because I've been convinced because the arguments are better than like being an atheist or an agnostic or a Buddhist or a Muslim or anything. I'm not a Christian because I feel like I have some sort of crutch for my life and I'm like, just kind of, Really, really? I don't know. But like, I better be a Christian because it seems like the most popular thing to do. I'm not a Christian because of any of those reasons. I'm a Christian. Here, Check this out. Because I've, I heard God's voice as a teenager. And I saw him move in my life in a very, very personal way. And I've heard stories of some of you in this group experiencing God in a very real way. And I, I want to challenge you. I want to—listen— I, don't fake ask these questions. Like, if you want life to have meaning and purpose, these questions are a good place to start. God, who am I and what have you created me for? And you find those answers in Scripture, but I also believe you're going to find those answers when you carve out some time just to pray and listen to him and, and and cry out. And I want you to ask this too. I want you to search Scripture and find who are you. Because here's what, I, I've banked my life on the promises in Scripture based on what these two questions, how they're answered. Because I believe that God is the creator of the universe. But I also believe he loves us more than any other creation. All the animals and all the plants and all this, this cool, like, everything is so beautiful. But, like, he said all of that was good. And then he, he made man and woman. And he was like, that's my prized creation. It's very good. And all of scripture is is God just proving over and over and over how much he wants you. He's crying out to you. He's like, he's like, I'm talking to you. Like, Mark, Mark, let's have this moment. I believe these questions, unanswered, are why some of us let fear take the steering wheel. Because who am I? I'm worthless. Who am I? I'm no good. I'm damaged goods. I'm... I'm the person that that thing happened to me. Nobody wants me. I'm not good for anything. Can I just get uber real for you right now? Can I just get very practical? Because I have the microphone, and sometimes I get to just spill my guts. Who am I? I don't know. I, I don't know. I've got some friends that planted churches that are making a real big difference in their city. I've got some friends that when they, when they share the gospel with people. People get saved by the dozens. Who am I? I don't know. I don't know that, you know, my my financial picture is all that awesome. I don't know that my future's all that crazy exciting. Who am I? I ask these questions. I lie awake at night with these questions. But I've banked my trust on scripture because I'm going to tell you, the enemy creeps in my life on a daily basis. And I think one of the reasons that I'm glad that at the very least I'm recognizing that I'm on holy ground right now. Is that I know that the enemy is going to come in and I recognize on the moment. Right? Just like when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, you remember? It's like, and there's two times that Jesus was tempted. And and there's, well, there's three is what I mean. But but two of those times, the, the tempter starts out with, hey, if you're truly the son of God, Identity question. He's trying to tear down your identity from the start. I think the enemy, and I don't mean the enemy of like your boss, your bills, your blah, 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 your, your addiction, your whatever. I, don't mean, I mean Satan, the adversary, is after you to tear some of these two questions down. Who am I and who is God? I want to challenge you to ask those two questions today because we're not trusting God because we're letting fear take the steering wheel. So I want, to ma- I want you to make this practice. I want you to literally pick up a pen, uncap it, and I want you to look at your notes right there, and where it says, I'm not trusting God with blank. I want you to get super honest right now, and I want you to say, I'm not trusting God with my job. I'm not trusting God with my family. I'm not trusting God with my relationships. I'm not trusting God with my provision. I'm not trusting God with my health. I'm not trusting God with my thought life. I'm not trusting God with my spiritual disciplines. I'm not trusting God with my, my friends, with my future. I want you to be really, really honest. And I, want, I want you to acknowledge your fear and choose to trust God. To wrap up, I want to uh, remind us how, how the, the story of Moses is so interesting because you see, when we think of Moses, we think of like these, these moments where it was like, I mean, when you think of Moses, you're, what are you thinking, like Red Sea, like parting the Red Sea? You're thinking maybe like what it looks like for the Israelites to actually leave the Egyptian walls or whatever that looked like. You know, maybe you're thinking of like the Ten Commandments, right? You're, you're, uh, there's all these scenes. But what we forget is that, like we said earlier, that Moses' birth was so supernaturally protected and purposed. The, the baby boy was put in a river and found his way to Pharaoh's daughter. But even before that, the moment that he was born, I read this, and it, um, it made all the difference in my life. Exodus chapter 1, Verse um, I think six, uh, 15 through 17. Yeah. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other Pua. If you're looking for baby names, Pua is uh, not very common in our context. <laughs> when you serve as the midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live." but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. I mean, make no mistake, you know, it's probably no surprise that a pastor would oppose, like, abortion, but this is not abortion. This is, like, sanctioned infanticide, like the killing of babies, just outright. Obviously awful. And in the face of Probably the worst kind of punishment, these midwives who were charged by Pharaoh, by the king, by the president, right, with killing these children, they were more worried about fearing God. They were more worried about the reputation with the creator of the universe, their God, their king, their Lord. They were more worried about disappointing their God than they were the Pharaoh, we sometimes are like, you know what? I can't live this Christian life out, out here because I'm going to lose friends. You might. I'm going to uh, not get considered for the promotion at work. You might. And when I think about this, reverse engineering, my life, my life, because I'm 35 years old, and I'm like, hey, God, where are you? And as a 35-year-old, I forget that there are Countless times that God, through His providence and through other sources, protected me. Think of the very, think of your life from beginning until now. All the moments that you have good reason to not be sitting here in this moment. And I don't mean like at church, like you're sleeping in, I mean like not alive. Because Moses had very real threat of death in his life. And some of us forget that God has been protecting us since moment one. Right? What does God say? Before you were born, I knew you. I consecrated you. This is what he says to Jeremiah. You know, I I guarantee that Jeremiah, who was faithful to the end in his call to ministry, but really never saw anything happen. I was reading in Jeremiah chapter one. It says, before you were born, I knew you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah, who likely experienced some depression because he's like, This doesn't seem like it's working, God. Go back to that very moment where God said, What did God say? I knew you, I appointed you, right? I've chosen you. What did it say in Ephesians 1? I've adopted you, I've accepted you, I've forgiven you, I've made you knowledgeable of my will, right? Moses, I don't know if I go to Pharaoh, all this bad stuff's gonna happen. Hey, just so you know, there were some women in your life who risked death because they didn't kill you. I've been protecting you from the moment all this began. So I want to tell you, I'm not saying that that is necessarily what you were growing up in, that maybe you had the threat of death. I know that's honestly my wife's story. Her mom had a disease, and the doctors were saying, if you have this child, you are going to die you are not going to make it through this birth. And somehow, my mother-in-law, out of some sense of strength, said, I'm going to have this child. So my wife is kind of like a miracle baby. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this story, and I'm like, you know, it was one really stressful decision that my wife had nothing to do with, that the very reason she's here in this moment right now is because of something that she had nothing to do. God is protecting us, folks. God is providing for us. And I believe he's giving you a purpose. And we ought not just to walk through this life being like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if I do this, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my paycheck. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose my status. And God's saying, are those things your God? Let's have a conversation about that. But I think what God is saying to us in this very moment is that I have freed you from the slavery to fear. Believers, friends, family members here, we ought not to be slaves to fear. God has freed us from that. If you are not a Christ follower, let me tell you, you are missing out on maybe one of the best things going that is super not popular in all our culture, but but we have been freed. As I was praying this morning, I was just reminded how, like, I'm just, I'm just walking out what God has created for me to do. I'm, I'm just, he's faithful, so I'm just going to walk in what he's called me to do, and I have joy in my salvation. He has already seated me next to the Father, and I'm just going to walk it out. 1 John 4, 18 is the verse I'd like to share with you before we go. There's no fear in love, but for perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. We ought to be walking this out. And this is what I'm, when I'm looking at my own life, When I'm letting fear white knuckle the steering wheel of my life, i got to remember this. Because if God is love, if God's law is love, if his gospel is peace, then I ought to be a person who is so filled with love that my life is casting out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I want to tell you, I want to be someone who, when you look at me, it's like more love than fear. It's more Jesus than this world. It's more transformed by the gospel than it is conforming to this world. That's what I want my life. And if, if our lives are dominated by fear, then we can't say that. We can't say that. And I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to get you to check off a checklist. What I'm trying to get you to do is realize the freedom that you have in Christ. If you're a believer today, then you have freedom in Christ to cast off this fear. So whatever it is that's holding you down, I invite you to ask those two questions. Okay, God, you and me, who am I and who are you? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? We'll pray. If you are uh, in this moment and you're realizing that um, you've never had a point in your life where, where you've surrendered your life to Jesus, um, I just want to challenge you to have a conversation with me after. No big raising your hands or anything. I would love to talk to you after. Because the freedom to not be enslaved by fear is a Christian thing. That's, that's something that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. The freedom to not be shackled by the things of this world, that's, a, that's something that Jesus died for. And he defeated that sin, and he defeated that death, and he defeated that fear. So if you're a Christian, I want you to walk in that. today. That's a calling today. I'm urging you to walk in that freedom today. If you are not a believer in Jesus, I'm calling you to surrender, right, to lose your life so that you might be able to find it. I pray for you. God, thank you for today. Thank you more than anything for just the stories that remind us that, that we don't have to be enslaved by fear or conquered by fear. Lord, you, you conquered fear, sin, and death on the cross. So when we walk in it, we are actively choosing, not you, but our own fears. So God, I pray that you would help us with that. We need help. We do need a reminder, and God, help us with that, because it's, it's absolutely ludicrous that we as believers who have been freed from that would walk back into that jail cell and, and put those shackles back on. God, would you just help us break free from those shackles that you have already broken? Would you help us give, a, give us a picture of the freedom that we have, In Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.